Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. All right, well, thanks for being here on this uh, bank holiday weekend. Send blessings to all those who'll be catching up who can't be with us personally tonight. Sorry I couldn't give you some better weather, but there you go, I do my best. Um, can I just, just say... Uh, as well, I was just reflecting down there that in a situation like like um, Jean's grandson Simon, very often the person going through the situation is much more personally equipped and and stronger than those who are affected by the situation. And uh, sometimes the forgotten group can be those who are around it, Simon's wife, his kids, and of course, you know, grandma, mum and dad, people in the church. Um, and the wonderful thing is that the, it's a strange thing really, but often in, in the process of suffering, you become conscious that the person suffering has discovered the depth of grace to which they have access that sometimes the people around the person are not necessarily tapped into that, that, same, that same grace. Connie Tenboom, the old um, uh, uh, Dutch Jew who was put in, in Auschwitz with a, with a sister and a father, and of course they subsequently died, once asked the father, how do you face this? And the father says, you don't need the ticket for the train journey until you get on the train. So very often those on the train have a grace. So, so we just pray for, we pray for the family, for the parents, for the kids, for wife, for Jean, for the church, for all the associated, that that same grace will permeate onto all of you at this time and that the very, very present help in time of trouble will be manifest and experienced what the Bible talks about, the peace that passes understanding. So we send that to you today and send that down to rugby. Now, don't over, um, overburden things tonight. Um, you know, with, with a lot of team away, we've, uh, we've not done our normal format for the last two weeks, so I've got to speak a little, a little longer. Some prefer it. Um, so we, we want to keep everybody, um, you know, kind of as content as, as possible. Um, also, thanks for those who stepped in. You know, Connor's here with his little baby and steps in. and Very, very, very appreciative of, um, of that. But... I, if I was going to title this week, remember last week we, we, were, we talked about um, the violence of God. And, um, uh, um, we followed up some a little bit that, that helps to deal with some of the process of thought on that last Wednesday night when we talked about going beyond Jesus, which is about understanding the Christ. And if you haven't listened to it yet online, and there's a lot of people, you know, we're in the hundreds listening to it. Um, if you haven't, please do. I think it will help you, and I think it's part of... We, we were saying on Wednesday that having done a lot of deconstructing as a house and changed from rock to queue, still very much on that journey, that, that the answer to deconstruction is not reconstruction, because 
If you reconstruct, you simply build a structure, another structure, which is rigid and solid. The, 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 an, the, the, the answer to deconstruction is not reconstruction, it's repurposing. And so I've set myself and we're setting ourselves to repurpose the house as we've made this journey of deconstruction uh, to become who we're supposed to be. Now, <clears throat> of course, within that, I, if I was going to title my little talk tonight, and there's, 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 there are two things that I felt I need to say. So if it's a bit messy, forgive me, but I want to say the two things that I feel I need to say. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I would call it to question or not to question... That is the question. Um, I have become and am very aware that questioning anything is for many people the most uncomfortable place to be in the world and that the last place that most people expect to have anything questioned is in a community of people that we would call the church because... The essence is, you, it's a bit like the story of Moses and God and the commandments and the mountain burning with fire. Moses, you talk to God and then you tell us what God says and we're cool with that. But don't, don't have us involved in that process. And, um, uh, and one of the reasons is because, because questions invariably make us have to wonder whether what we think is the answer is actually the answer or whether the answer that we think we have is complete as it should be, and whether it is reality or whether it's fantasy that we're following. So to question or not to question, that is the question. Um, now, Albert Einstein made a great quote. I was going to say during his lifetime, well, you know, duh. Who knows, maybe after, I don't know. Einstein said, two things are infinite the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> that was Einstein. He had both a high and low regard of our human willingness to deal with the issues that really matter and how we seem to have, unfortunately, an infinite stupidity. Now, now, one of the things that made me wrestle with this, and again, I'll try not to go too long, we'll cut and, cut and paste as we need to. I found myself asking myself, are we answering questions that no one is asking? One of the things that I grew up with in, in, in the evangelical Christian world and trying to emerge into... into what we needed to be as opposed to just a change of style. Because, you know, you can look as though things are different if you change the style, when actually it's business as usual. It's still what you were always doing. No change is really taking place. Um, so, so I was driven back many years ago with the whole thing of, you know, most of the time the church is answering questions that nobody's asking. And uh, I really bought into that because I thought, yeah, that's true. We, we're often... We're often, you know, we're doing the, the inner, internal tribal stuff and not really thinking, how does the world function? How do, how do people in general, how do they think? But then we come to our transition and then we come to our deconstruction and then we come to 
the emergence of our journey to become Q, which is all about, you know, a journey. It's all about a quest. It's all about a question. But then I realized that, that we have to ask ourselves still the question, are we answering questions that no one is asking? And some of you would say, yep, because I've never asked a tenth of the questions that you're, that you're wrestling with. However, I would say this, that sometimes we need to have introduced to us the questions that we should be asking that we would not think about if nobody helped us to realize that that was a question. The process of education is more successful when it stimulates the question in the child as opposed to give the answer to the child. If you give the answer to the child, they may be very good at passing an exam, but you will educate them beyond their intelligence. Because when it comes to the reality of life and the principles that are associated with what it was you were trying to teach them, if you have not stirred in them the question and you've only given them the answer, it means that then when they find situations that are not the same as the situation that the question asked for the answer, they can't deal with the question because they never were taught how to wrestle with the question and what is a question and why is a question important. I believe we should all be walking around with a big question mark above our heads. I think one of the great problems of established, any established religion of which I would put Christianity amongst it, is that it has spent most of its time trying to eradicate the questions and therefore what we do is we turn people into being religious rather than relational because relationships have questions. Relationships are organic, they are not mechanical. Jesus talked to this group called the Pharisees. My paraphrase, he basically said, your problem is you think you've got all the answers. And then when you see the questions, you reject the question. You see, I was also raised, how many of you were raised like me? Jesus is the answer. You will never hear me preach that now. What I will preach to you is Jesus is the question. Because whatever Jesus is the question, he is drawing us, he is drawing us, he is drawing us in life to go somewhere. Whatever Jesus is the answer, you just stopped wherever that answer was. And Jesus never said, here's the answer, worship me. Jesus said, I am the way, follow me. So he's saying, I'm the question, I'm the question. If you follow me, the question that is life, meaning, purpose, future will always be there but but while you follow me the way the truth the life you you will be able to come to the things that actually bring way and bring truth and bring life to you i have sat with many many people in my over 35 years of ministry who said these words why didn't you tell me this would happen That's quite frustrating when you hear those words because you realise that in communication and in teaching and in preaching and in sharing, you've actually been expressing that this would happen for a long period of time. But you see, because there was never a question, there was never an ability to grasp the answer that would prevent you at some point from saying, why didn't you tell me that this would happen? 
See, I'm no longer trying to fix your past. I am trying to equip your future. And in equipping your future, it means that when we arrive, we never have to say, why didn't you tell me this would happen? Because we are equipped and we are ready and we're facing and something begins to flow out of us because we've received that. Now, I also want to say that, that what I want you to receive goes beyond just human education, human natural teaching. I've seen many things in the unseen realm which can't be explained by human reasoning. And I don't know why I got onto this, but I felt I had to talk just, just a few minutes about this, about this tonight. Um, things like when I was, I wasn't even a teenager, I was just in my noughts. And I remember in our home that then was over on the uh, Grove side of the city, my mother's aunt walked round the corner, I saw her in front of the mirror, and I knew instantly that she had come to tell us that my mother's brother had died suddenly, Uncle Sidney. Now, I can't have been more than 10 years old maximum, but I knew as she passed that window what she was coming to say before she ever said it, and no way of knowing as a boy because I wasn't in a conversation of what that would be. Where does that come from? I'm trying to tell you that the dimension we're talking about is still a dimension of unseen and a dimension of spirit that touches the seen. So when we ask questions, it's not so that we can disassociate ourselves with the mystery and the unseen. It's actually so that we can better associate ourselves with that. Sometimes that word has come as a preparation. I remember one time being in our house when we lived across in, in Mogate in Acom. And um, I said to Chris that there was a guy who was part of the church for a while. His name was Stephen Redman, who was in a church at that time across in, in Goul. And um, I said to Chris, I said, Steve Redman's on his way and he's coming tonight and he's going to ask if it's okay if he comes and joins the church. About 30 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. Who do you think it was? It was Steve Redman. Why had he come? To ask the very question that I knew before he ever came to the door with no warning. There was nothing to say, I will be coming. It was totally out of the blue. Sometimes it has come as preparation. Sometimes it's come as warning. I'll give you a brief part of this story. I'm sat on a plane in Denver. In a storm, we can't get off, I fall asleep, I have a dream. In the dream, Connie is in the bed next to me and she stops breathing. And in the dream, I have to do CPR on Connie because she stopped dreaming. Connie was just a, a, a young girl. And uh, th so the storm stops, we go, we go in the hotel, two o'clock in the morning, guess what happens? I wake bolt upright, look over to Connie who's in the bed next to us, and Connie's stopped breathing. We have to clear her airway, we have to give her mouth to mouth, and we have to call out the medics. See, some of those words were, were warnings. Now, now, some were also revealing. I, I was in a meeting in, um, in Chicago, on the airport in Chicago, and while I'm sat in the meeting, I'm suddenly not in the meeting, but I'm in York and I'm in a car. And I'm in the back seat of the car watching a certain person in the front seat of the car who's with a person that person shouldn't have been with in that car. 
that had been a secret, but I was in the car and I could describe every single detail of what happened. So when I called the guys back here, I said, I need you to check something for me. What I had been told as revealing to help that situation was totally accurate. So how could I be in Chicago and how could I be sat in a, a car in Dringhouses at the same time? I don't know. This is the mystery of the goodness of God and also why I want to release you from the rigidity of just this, you know, kind of fixed thing. Okay, so... So that was revealing. Sometimes it's directional. We've been led many, many places. You know, our recent, our recent involvement in Salt Lake City and all of that. Won't bore you with the stuff. But I said all that to say that I have learned to trust what I see and what I receive. When it comes without any prior knowledge... When it comes, not because it has been inspired by a situation or a circumstance or somebody has provoked it, but when it comes from nowhere like that, I think the sensible thing to do, not being stupid, like Albert Einstein said, I think the sensible thing to do is say, we probably ought to take this seriously. Would you agree? So, so... One of the ones I wanted to share, because, because let me also say that, that these things are always helpful, but sometimes extremely uncomfortable, because sometimes I know stuff that I don't want to know. So let me share one detail and then explain why, and then give you this very quick little story. So some, some of you are familiar with this story, some of you aren't, so I need to share it. So, so I'm, I'm asleep on a Saturday morning... Um, this, is, this is over 16 years ago. I'm asleep on a Saturday morning and in my dream, I'm with my daughter Connie and we walk out of a side street and as we walk out of the side street and look ahead of us, there is this weird, strange, crazy looking building that is gothic in design but, but like, looks like something between, between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Um, it's just extremely unusual, and it has these it has these towers going up into the air. Now, again, memory dims over time, and I can't remember, you know, how many towers exactly did you see? I don't know. I, I saw at least the four that were on the frontage that we were walking towards. And um, um, as I saw this, we then Connie and I went. We went inside the building through the door, and what struck me was that. As we looked up, there was no roof. You could see all the way up to the sky. There was no roof in the building. And uh, as I looked, I could see that this was a very unusual building. Now, that's, this is the short version of the story. What I did notice is that it was multifaceted. You understand that? It had different faces. So, so all the different frontages were different. They, it, was, it was unconventional. It was an unfinished work in progress. It was open to the heavens, not closed in at all. And it was an unfolding revelation which makes each stone part of a bigger picture. So, so that building then, here's the, here's the bit of this. I had no idea. I'm at, this is in the dream. I have no idea what I'm looking at, just that it's weird. So I get up, I go in the kitchen, I put the coffee on, I put the TV on. And lo and behold, as I look at the TV, I'm now looking at the very building that I have just seen and been in, in my dream, just an hour before, 
And suddenly I hear, this is la Sagrada Familia. That's the English version. If you want the Spanish version, then talk to Ruth. And she'll give you all the thubits, the Sagrada. So this building existed, and I, I had, it was like I've been there. I was there, and I looked. And I found that what it was, I saw the very towers, you can see, which are crossed between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, weird, gothic. And Connie and I were walking down this thoroughfare, went into the building, and, um, and of course, then they showed at that point in time, there was no roof. The building was completely open inside. None of the internal roof structure had been put in place, and you could see right out to the, the heavens. So... So you say, well, what, what, was the, what was the issue of that? Well, the issue was I was seeing something about which I must become responsible. Because as a leader, as a church leader, as a pastor, as somebody trying to listen to what's supposed to happen in the context of the expression of my life, I was seeing something that I did not know existed, but now was a picture and an image of something that I must accept because it came from somewhere other than my mind, or a book that I had read, or a program that I had seen, and what it was telling me is that whatever it was we were involved with would be multifaceted. That each face of this thing and each phase of this thing would not be like the other. So for those of you who think, why isn't this like the rock and why wasn't the rock like whatever? Because it's a multi-phased, a multifaceted thing of which now the architect who was behind the building of this, Anthony Gaudi, he had a hatred. Do you want to know what Gaudi hated? Straight lines. So when you go into Gaudi's cathedral, it's difficult to find a straight line anywhere because in Gaudi's mind, the universe and the human body is lacking of something and that something is a straight line. Do you know there's no straight lines in your body? You haven't got a bone. You think your bones are straight, but they're not. It's even interesting that the only thing really that we understand to go in straight lines is light. But we now understand that when light passes an object like a planet that has a gravitational pull, light of its own design will bend. So the light rather than going, so even light itself bends to the situation. Now, now think about that in the context of Jesus, the light of the world. Think, think of the fact of him, rather than being a rigid straight line of rules and regulations, is this fluid, moving, bending, accommodating, wonderful, glorious persona that, that, that says, I will fit into your life. And, and I used to think the gospel was about, we invite Jesus into our life. Stupid. Einstein got it right. See, the gospel is not we invite Jesus into our life. The gospel is he invites us into his. his. And in his world, in his life, in his light, there is this wonderful place where our humanity somehow fits. And in that love, we begin to be shaped in the same way that he is. Now, now the law, the old law, was straight line 
theology and it changed nothing and it changed nobody. So along comes God in the form of Jesus to say, do you understand you can't live straight lines? So Gaudi, he builds a building that's all these beautiful curves and, and shapes and movements. Why? Because I believe, and I'm sharing with you, that, that this is, we are building another face on the cathedral that is the design that we were called to actually build. It's multifaceted, it's unconventional, it's an unfinished work in process. And, and I believe, here's what I believe, when they finally put a roof in this building, they will have missed the point. Because once they complete it, they will have said, what we are building can be completed. It's not an ongoing story. I love the fact that, you know, in the Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are purported to have been written by a guy called Luke, who was supposedly a, a medical doctor, and I have no reason to doubt that. I think the evidence is quite good. But actually, we are told that Luke and Acts are one should be read as one book. That Acts is the continuation of Luke. And when you take Luke and Acts, you have the biggest portion of the New Testament in terms of the longest of books. But the interesting thing about the book of Acts of the Apostles, which was the emerging development of this thing that came out of the Christ, has no end. No end. So where the letters of Paul finish with thanks and goodbye you know, my, my summary, and all the other books. The Acts of the Apostles does not finish at its last chapter. Why? Because it was never supposed to finish because it was supposed to be a building that has no roof on it. It's always open to the heavens, but with all the facades giving an expression of the story so that every stone that is included in the facade is just part of a bigger story. And if you're looking for the bigger story, instead of being so down self-centered, you'll see where you fit and why you fit and why this is important. Two million people a year want to see this in Barcelona. Why? Because it says something to them. This is not just a building to people. You watch people who visit La Sagrada Familia and they are not just seeing a building. Something happens inside of them because they are witnessing a confession, a declaration, a truth that's drawing them into something to say, look at this. This is the story. This is the curve. This is the space that is made to show the fullness of the wonder of the one who we will see if we stay in the place of the question. Now, I have to say, and I, have, I need another five minutes just to, to do this. This dream that I had came at a time of pending disaster and great distress. So it was not born of a time of me thinking I'm God's gift to the world. It was born at a time of thinking, why would the world ever need me? This is all a complete mess. How could God love me? What a failure. But that's the thing about grace. Grace shows up best when it encounters brokenness because in our brokenness is when we realize we actually need grace. And the truth is many of us have not seen brokenness enough to understand grace enough. Now, I don't wish brokenness on anybody. I don't wish disaster on anybody. 
But I will tell you something. Those who've had the greatest disasters are the ones who best understand the work of grace. I, I, you know, I used to admit that I was a sinner, which I was, you know. But, you know, sin to me was like using a bad word accidentally or, you know, parking in the disabled parking spot at Asda. Oh, Lord, forgive me for the sins of... Now, I know you think that's stupid, but what I'm trying to point out is most of us Christians who talk about being sinners actually can't point to much else other than that. And so there's been none of this desperation that screams out and says, I need grace or it's over. Well, this is the position I was in at that time. Gaudi dislikes straight lines and so have I from that moment. And if we try to impose straight line thinking on our view of the world, we get into all kinds of difficulty. So, this was the revelation. Just, just give me five more minutes, if you will. It's not hurting. Genesis chapter 9, in that brokenness, I saw this. And this is part of the shape of who we are. It says, the sons of Noah, it's in, it's in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, the oldest son, saw his father's nakedness and immediately posted it along with pictures on Facebook. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth tried to take it down. Now put it in those terms, because when you look at historic terms, you think, now to do with me, the problem is when you've not encountered the fullness of grace, we are too ready to look at the failings of another, and our immediate desire is to point that out and to shame them. Now I think honesty is wonderful, but honesty is a dangerous thing when all it means that you are allowed to be honest about someone else, but they're not allowed to be honest about you. Throughout my ministry, I've heard people say, well, shouldn't we just be able to say what we mean? Shouldn't we just be able to say what we think? Yeah, you should, and I encourage it. But then don't get upset when somebody else says what they think back to you. The maturity says, yes, we should, but it shouldn't be this way. So again, this, this is the, the two-sentence version of this because we haven't got time to deal with it any further but basically what was happening is 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 Noah has got drunk and he's totally blotto and he's naked inside his tent with all his bits hanging out now I have a question and then we'll tell you something about the the culture of this house who's ever thought for one minute about the impact on Noah of seeing all the world that he knew drown, be floating around the boat that he was in, white and bloated, bumping against the hull, while lucky for him, he and his family were inside. Now you can see, yeah, but he preached the gospel and his family came in and wonderful. But you think it had no impact upon Noah, what he experienced. I think I'd be in my tent getting drunk. And here's the problem. 
Using it as an analogy, when people are in the tent getting drunk with their bits hanging out, there's usually a very good reason that does not need some smart aleck like Ham saying, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe you've done that, I can't believe you would expose that, I can't believe you behave that way, that's really not appropriate, and then wanting to post it to the world. You know what the Bible says about that? It says the curse came on Ham. I haven't got time to talk about that, whatever you make about it, but a curse comes on that behaviour. But the other two sons, Shem and Japheth, and I have to finish for time, I, I, this just absolutely impacted my life at a time of personal shame, at a time of disappointment, at a time when I was being accused and condemned, was that these other two young sons, knowing the situation, they, they took a sheet, they took a, a blanket, and the two of them held it together, and they said, let's do this together, and they walked backwards into the tent, never looking on on the nakedness of Noah. Now, you might say, what's the big deal? Well, in those days, it was a big deal. It, it, it meant something. It meant that you were shamed, that you were exposed, you were vulnerable, and you were at risk of, of being disgraced. They went in backwards, and as they got to where their father was, they laid the sheet over him and walked out of the tent so that when Noah came around, somebody had graced his life, not by posting his exposed failures all over Facebook, but by covering his weaknesses, his potential sense of shame, his brokenness, so that nowhere inside his tent could experience a love that might give him the hope and the chance to wrap that blanket around him and say, I'm actually loved, I'm actually cared for. Somebody graced me in my weakness. Somebody graced me in my failure. This house is not a ham house. Much as I love ham, and I wish ham had been part of the Shem and Japheth, because a bacon sandwich you cannot beat. But we'll settle for Shem and Japheth. It's a Shem and Japheth house. It's a partnership of brothers, of sisters, of people who say, we don't look at people's failings because God doesn't look at them. What we do is we always come at them backwards because we don't want to know. All we want to know is they've covered and they've got time to heal and they've got space. And in that place of grace is where you find wholeness and healing and you find the courage to come out of the tent instead of committing suicide in the tent. And when we heap things on people or we fail to consider their story and what brought them to this place, we can heap condemnation on them that whether physically or spiritually or emotionally, they can commit suicide, cut themselves off, be finished with that life. But grace does something different. Grace says, okay, we're going to give you some time. You're covered. It's okay. We haven't even seen what it is. We don't recognise it. We don't talk about it. That's not what we're here to deal with. We want to see you pop your head out of the tent when you get sober and say hi and then like Jesus on the day of his resurrection after his resurrection we'll have the little fire on we'll have the fish and we'll be cooking breakfast and say come join us because you see Jesus didn't expose Peter's shame as a betrayer Instead, Peter didn't say, why did you fail me? Why did you fail me? Why did you fail me? He said, do you love me, Pete? Do you still love me? 
Do you really love? Come and have some breakfast. He's one of us. He's part of us. So the reason I said that is, you might not think this is unconventional, but I propose to you it is. Because what I found happened to me and my failure was I was not covered, I was exposed, I was not forgiven, I was condemned, and I swore we would never be like that in this place. The roof is off, there is no ceiling, we walk backwards to every situation, we cover everything because Grace said when your face comes through the tent curtain and says hi, we're there to say hi. Welcome to the family. This is the culture of the kingdom of grace that I trust and believe we've been led to and I want us to share together. Father, help us to be faithful to what it is you have shown us so that the world around us can feel the impact of the kindness and the grace that you so wish to reveal through us. Help us to be ultra, ultra compassionate to the story of everyone that we meet, knowing that who they are and what they have done is a result of that story. But help them to come to the place and help us to come to a place that we don't believe the story that we have concocted about ourselves, but we believe your story about us, which is good news to the world. So help us to receive it, believe it, live in it, walking it, and let this house be a Sagrada Familia, a sacred family to the honour of your name. Amen. Thank you. You've been wonderful. And they're going to sit, do something and then grab a coffee. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.